Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Ada Pia Dorico and Daniel Coca. everyone. Welcome back to Real Wealth, Real Health. Today, we are speaking with Reed Goosens. Reed is a young entrepreneurial real estate investor originally from Australia who's had his fair share of ups and downs in diving headlong into real estate investing. Reed began his career with small single family assets, and now he manages over $100 million of multifamily assets in his portfolio. We talked to Reed about his decision-making and thought process as he forayed into real estate entrepreneurship and what has led to his great success in a relatively short amount of time. His perspective as an immigrant to America has given him invaluable experience in understanding the why of why the USA is the best place to earn returns as a real estate investor. We did record this interview with Reed prior to the worldwide COVID-19 shutdowns, but in any case, this episode highlights just how much the economic environment has changed and still signals that savvy investors have been preparing for quite a while for an eventual downturn. As Reed's insights have been key to his own success, we dive into evaluating market trends and how to shift investor expectations for impending economic contractions. Hi, Reed. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Adapia. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it was it was really fun when we were getting started with the podcast. And I thought, who are people from uh, my network, especially this network that I've built up over the past few years in the real estate space that I wanted to reach out to? And as I was going through my list, uh, your email came through my inbox about this book that you were launching. And I thought, gosh, I haven't talked to Reed in years. So here we are. And I'm so excited to talk to you about this journey because we met back in like, I want to say 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot has changed in the past four years for all of us in this space. And I'm really excited to hear all about what you've been up to and share your knowledge and your wisdom with our listeners. Well, thank you very much and very flattering introduction. <laughs> I've got lots of love to you, right? <laughs> oh, no, you'll, you'll be fine. So what I would love to start with is like, I know you, but let's hear from you a little bit about who you are, your experience, and you know what our listeners can, can look forward to and uh, hearing from you. Wow. Yeah. Big one. Who am I? I think it's the, the question we always ask uh, ourselves each and every day. I guess I'm a self, self-loving, down-to-earth guy who loves surfing and investing in real estate and, and finding financial freedom. And, and really, I think the crux of who I am as a person is someone who likes uncertainty, but also uh, fears regret. You know, and, and, you know, my story is that I moved to the United States back in 2012. I quit my job in Australia and we can get into that in a little bit. But I've always been 
I've always thought to myself, if I don't give this a crack or don't give something a go, I'm going to wake up when I'm 70 years of age and regret it. And I'm in my early 30s now and I've looked back in the last 10 years and I've been really proud of what I've achieved to date. And, and that means the next 10 years, I don't have to stress as much because I know my, to my, if left to my own devices, clearly I know what I, I'll figure it out somehow. And that's really who I am as a person is just understanding that don't put as much stress on what's going to happen the next 10 years, but, but just look at the doors that are in front of you right now, open them, see what, walk through those doors and, and let the, the future figure the, itself out uh, along the way. So, so does that answer the question of who, who I am? Yeah, I think, I, you know, it's such a hard question to, you know, to, to answer because we're so nuanced and there's so much to, to talk about. One of the reasons why I really wanted you on the show was because you have this deep financial uh, or rather real estate experience. I mean, it's both financial and real estate. As an entrepreneur, you were doing a nine to five life. You read a book, it you and you took the action to change your life. It's not like oh, this book changed my life, but right. you read it and you did something about it. And like you said, you're opening doors, going through them, probably closing other doors. And so, what is that? What has that looked like for you as an entrepreneur getting into real estate? And obviously, everyone can hear your accent. You're not from America, so you've also done this as an expat. So let's. I'd love to just talk a little bit about the professional side mm-hmm. um, to to start with, especially as it relates to the real estate. Yeah. So the professional side, the bug was planted. You, you alluded to the, the rich dad, poor dad. And that really came after a couple of years of traveling uh, abroad. So if I rewind the clock even further, uh, I graduated in 2007 from University of Queensland in Australia as a structural engineer. Uh, 2008, went abroad to London to work on the 2012 Olympic Games, but in 2008 on infrastructure development. 2009 was in the south of France, uh, talking about super yachts uh, in, the, in the green room before we press record here. Uh, and then 2009 is where I met my, my then girlfriend, now wife, Erica, who is American. Uh, at the end of 2009, I moved back to Australia and that's when I really realized about, I, wanna, I want someone to pay me to live my life, right? I, wanna, I, I just enjoyed this incredible two years being abroad, all these advent, adventures. I tr- you know, crossed the Atlantic Ocean on a super yacht, you know, had these incredible eye-opening experiences, but I was still working. I ended up being back in a cubicle and I was like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want out of life. And I really felt like that star athlete sitting on the bench and just watching my life go by. And it, I was in mid, mid to mid-20s, to mid late-20s, and I really, I didn't know what the word entrepreneurship meant. And when I picked up that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it sort of ignited the, the spark within me to say, okay, there's more here to life, i.e. financial freedom um, than what I was told, right? What I was told as a growing up, you got to go to school, you got to get a job, you got to be in this cubicle, you got to you know, punch the clock. And then at 65 years of age, somehow then you, or you get this golden ticket to living now the rest of your life. And, and I didn't really subscribe to that. So the whole idea around the book was just Rich Dad Poor Dad. It, it planted a seed and that seed was enough for me to challenge the status quo, which I had been brought up to believe. Uh, and so then the next, since 2009, over a decade later, it's been that quest towards financial freedom, towards figuring it out, towards opening doors and, and, and the rest of it. So, so yeah. That, I didn't realize it was 2009. That's actually when I also started my own entrepreneurial journey. I was at a hedge fund in Switzerland, actually, because wow. uh, I was living in Europe at the time. And uh, we're coming off the tail end of the, you know, the 
almost a near destruction of the fund with, with everything that started happening in September of 2008. And for various personal reasons, I, I left, I left the fund and I started an entrepreneur, like I, that really started my entrepreneurial path back in, in 2009 as well. So uh, I didn't realize that that was that for you. What, what made you choose real estate? Was it specifically what was said in the book or were you already kind of familiar with it? Yeah, my uh, I was from being familiar enough that the fact that I was a structural engineer working on infrastructure projects on some developments uh, in my early career as an engineer, but also my dad had you know he was a high school teacher. Nothing came from very humble upbringings, nothing fancy, but he had created a little nest egg for himself through investing in real estate. And and really, Australians have been taught over the years you buy something and and hopefully if you double your money or double the value of an asset in ten years, you're doing pretty well. Right, so that's that's the mindset I've come from. Of slow and steady wins the race, um, and, and you know he had created not not necessarily financial freedom, but some a comfortable living. Where now he's at sixty five years of age, and he doesn't he doesn't he, he doesn't have any loans on his on his houses, and he owns them debt free, uh, which is pretty incredible for a, a person who had uh, you know a, 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 a measly but a, a not a great income as as a high school teacher growing up. So being really smart with with money uh, and then investing in in assets was sort of I could have chosen the stocks and bonds route but I chose the the tangible physical assets because of my ability to build stuff and that that sort of engineer in me but also the fact that I had an upbringing where uh you know my dad had invested in a little bit of real estate along the way so so yeah right and what was the first project you invested in and was that in the US yeah so the first project um so sort of summarizing the 2009 to, to, to moving to the United States was 2009 got home, had the epiphany of like, I need to do more with my life. Rich Dad, Poor Dad started then educating myself about the benefits of real estate, attending local real estate investment clubs in Australia. Erica moves out to Australia for her master's degree in 2011. She does that for 12 months. And at the end of that, 2011 was like, all right, we've come to a fork in the road. Do I want to go and live uh, abroad again, uh, being an expat, and and that was a real desire within me. Or do I want to stay in Australia and do do something in Aussie and just you know play play it safe? And the uncertainty in me wanted to go and you know throw throw caution to the wind and let's give it a crack. So quit the job at the end of 2011. Uh, Erica, we, Eric and I moved to New York City, and I had a tourist visa. And I had to get a job pretty quickly and I had to get a visa pretty quickly because I only had three months to be in the country. Uh, Erica, on the other hand, is an American citizen. So it's a completely different uh, kettle of fish. And yeah, I think within two weeks of being fresh off the boat, I was at my at the, at the real estate uh, REARS, uh, Real Estate Investment Associations in New York City. And I thought Australia had some pretty awesome networking events. This was, you know, it's, it's the big apple. It's, it's, it's networking on steroids and it's the fast paced, fast talking Americans, you know, coming at me with all this lingo that I wasn't maybe necessarily, we didn't use the same lingo because of the different investment climate and market in Australia. So really I spent the first six months readjusting or recalibrating my mind on, on how to invest in real estate in the United States, but also realized that the barriers to entry here are so much lower than they are in Australia. And, you know, for what Rich Dad, Poor Dad said, I found these markets within a four hour drive of New York City, i.e. Syracuse and upstate New York, where you can buy 
$50,000 properties and that just wouldn't exist in Australia. So I had saved a little bit of money and my first deal was a $38,000 triplex in Syracuse, New York. It was because I could get on the Greyhound bus and travel to and from a market that I could afford. Uh, and when I moved here, no one wanted to lend to me anyway, even that I did have a job was to the fact that, that I just didn't have any credit. I didn't know what a credit score was uh, when I first moved here. So that was my first deal was just within six months of moving here was, was about getting the cash flow or cash flow, perceived cash flow. But had a very quick lesson in Section 8 housing and uh, investing in, in the slums. So, uh, you know, had, had, had a drive-by shooting at one of my properties. So, but, but the, 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 you know, you shake your head, it's, I wouldn't have got to where I am today without doing that first deal. And that first deal meant it was my own cash, it was my risk, it was my money. I was willing to put it on the line because, just because I was sick of having my nose in a book on the subway learning about something, right? It was more getting out and taking action and the only way I was going to learn. And at that point, Adapaya, uh, is that I've been learning for since 2009. So it was sort of like over two years, two and a half years of Australian learning and then coming to the United States. I was like, I just needed to get something done. So that was more uh, the reason. Um, but, but, but I got the first deal done and that rolled into the second little deal. And then um, all like multifamily, little multifamily deals, and then looked to do some, I, I did a flip in Philadelphia, um, which didn't go great, but it still got it going. And then really got to the end of 2013. And uh, a friend of mine came down from Canada who I actually studied with at U the University of Queensland. And I was telling him about my little portfolio of probably less than $200,000 worth of property. Uh, but I still wasn't financially free and, and you know, I was boasting to him about what I'm doing and he sort of slaps him on the back and, you know, well done, good on you. Um, he, he tells me he just closes on a 70-unit deal and I said, you know, I said, seven zero. He's like, yeah, seven zero. And I said, how the hell did you do that? And he talked to me about getting a mentor, about, you know, raising other people's money and sell a carryback finance and all that sort of stuff. And that was the impetus to get me thinking about, okay, I need to scale this. And, and at that sort of that was the second epiphany in my life, which was the first one was Rich Dad Porter. This was the second conversation over a couple of years. And I kind of had the sense that I was getting to the end of my tether already um, with three little deals or four little deals under my belt. Like uh, the banks weren't really lending to me that much because I wasn't credit worthy. My income wasn't going up enough to get more lo loans. So I really needed to change my, my thought process. And I knew I was getting to the ceiling of my own abilities and I needed someone else on my team to take me to that next level. So the mentor and the coach, like that's where I went out to, to, to try and I did that and, and got a coach, someone who I could you know, surround myself with and be able to ride on their coattails of credibility. Um, at the same time, I started my own podcast called Investing in the US and that was back in early 2014 and really, um, you know, tracking the history of what what I was doing because a lot of international investors were looking at the United States as a favorable place to invest but, you know, when I looked on iTunes and podcasting, there was no educational platforms talking specifically to the international investor, yet I was doing it, you know, figuring out how to close my first little triplex. I, you know, didn't even know what credit score was. I, you know, trying to make relationships with local banks, LLC startups, EINs, all that sort of stuff, um, foreign, foreign exchange, you know, getting money out of Australia and into the United States, all that sort of stuff, like loans. How do you get a loan from a quote unquote foreigner? So that's when I started the podcast, Investing in the US, and, and that really sort of helped snowball the effect of attracting capital to then invest and co-invest in my mentor's deals. And then over a period of three or four years, I was able to break out and do my own deals. Um, 
And, and in that same period of time, I was able to transition from structural engineering into being a, an owner's rep for a, a reputable developer in Lo- uh, Long Beach um, and building uh, 500 high-end luxury um, multifamily apartments. And so knowing that I had to, you know, I didn't have the V, I didn't have the green card yet. I could quit, you know, and, and I could go financially free. So I spent many years, four or five years, spinning the plates of trying to get my side hustle going, trying to get the podcast going, trying to keep food on the table and, uh, and a roof over my head uh, with a day job. But, but, I, but I made the conscious decision that if I had to have a day job, I would transition into a job where I could continue to learn as a real estate, in the real estate business. So, so yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm actually really curious about your perspective of, of investing into the United States before you arrived here and then, you know, what things turned out to be true? What are some of the realities? Like for those folks who, you know, are not US based, like what should what should they expect investing in the United States? Well, so the expectation, I had no expectation. I, I thought I was moving here and just going to be an expat for two years and move back to Australia, you know, after getting a job. It was, there was no expectation to invest. It was just the fact that I saw the barriers to entry were so much lower. So if you look at the international world, globe, Western worlds, America is very, very unique in terms of it has the, uh, uh, a really nice balance between appreciating markets, but also cash flowing markets. And the reason is, and I always equate it back to Australia because that's where I'm from, but you can equate it very similar to England or Europe, Canada, where we in Australia have the same landmass as the United States, exclude, you know, mainland America sort of excluding Alaska, but give or take. But we only have 25 million people. Uh, we can only inhabit you know, 20% of our land. In America, you guys have 350 million people, I think. You also can ha- inhabit north to south, east to west. And you can have these pockets of, um, of high appreciation markets, but you can also have through the population growth and just population density, these secondary and tertiary markets where it's a lower barrier to entry, um, you can, it's a, the cost of living is a little more affordable and, and that's more where more cash flow exists. So you have this really weird balance of cash flow and appreciation depending on what, you know, it's like a buffet. It's like, what do you want? Do you want the meat and potatoes or do you want the, the salmon and the salad? Like you, you have a bit of everything. But it wasn't until I moved here and I really started researching that that I fully understood the benefits of investing here coupled with that also compared to my home country, particularly on the commercial real estate side, the access to financing, you know, was just, you guys have thousands of different arms of financing structures in Australia. We have four big banks and they control everything. And so having Fannie and Freddie, you know, government backed agency bond debt uh, at at 30 years amortized with, you know, 10 years interest only uh, fixed rate, like you would not find that in in Australia. And and I'd be hard pressed to think you'd find it in other Western countries. So this whole mix of capitalism slash population slash, you know, perfect boiling pot. (laughs) I don't know if that answers your question, but there's, it's, it, it does make the United States a very unique place to invest, uh, particularly when you're chasing yield, but you also can get the appreciation from forced appreciation, particularly if you're investing in commercial real estate. So I hope that answers your question in terms of the, the perspective. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting, you know, from my perspective as someone who was born here, thinking about investing in real estate, particularly being an active investor in real estate, you know, and the hurdles that, you know, I may think exist, but then hearing your perspective about, coming to America and how these hurdles seem so much lower than they did uh, in Australia. Just an, an interesting thought. And don't get me wrong. You, 
I, I try to I try to I try to tell people think of Australian commercial real estate and really real estate markets like. LA, San Francisco, New York was just had a baby. That's, you know, the, the, that's the type of market you are. High barriers to entry, you know, um, negatively geared, uh, you know, you, you, you're sort of, you're supporting the mortgage to keep it going, but also having commercial assets where they're in the 2 and 3% cap rates have been historically 2 or 3% cap rates because the demand to live there is so much higher than the supply. Uh, and also, I forgot to even mention that multi, particularly on the multifamily side, Multifamily does not exist in Australia because of, again, the, uh, the abilities of financing and the way in which the financing structures in Australia, they don't view, it's very much a condominium market. So the local governments get their tax breaks through strata title. So when you go and, you know, a developer goes and wants to build a block of apartments, they're saying, well, okay, you've got to pre-sell 30% or 40% of the deals off the plan before we'll bring you the construction loan. And so when you've already broken up the pie, you can't really put it back together again. Uh, nor would there be a financing vehicle to say, come along and say, well, there's a 200 unit you know, apartment building. We're going to value it on this future NOI once you've built it. Uh, again, lack of the, I wouldn't say sophistication, just the lack of the different revenue uh, uh, resource streams for commercial financing in Australia versus um, versus here in America. So, yeah. I'm really curious for you as you made all of these transitions geographically, like in your life and in your lifestyle, what would you say drives you? Like what was driving you like that deep, deep place beyond, you know, you've talked about some of the things, but do you, do you know, like really inside of you, what, what drives you towards where you've arrived at even today? I think, you know, a little bit back to the uncertainty, uh, a little bit back to the not throwing caution to the wind. Australians in our DNA are, are conquerors. We, we, we live by ourselves all the way down under and we all sound the same, look the same and talk the same. So getting out and exploring the world was probably the, the first and foremost thing when I, when I first came to the United States, just a challenge to live here and make it happen. But back to you know the other question of like the perspective, I had no idea that I'd start to invest in, in commercial multifamily when I first moved here. It was again, putting one foot in front of the other and not having the shackles of expecting to be somewhere in 10 years' time or expecting to have a family and kids and, you know, house and picket fence and all that sort of stuff. But not that that's bad, just that it doesn't drive me as much as where it was I'm about living my life now or want, you know, want to live my life now and the challenges of moving halfway across the world excited me. That's, that's really it. And then... Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health. The show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Adapia Dorico and Daniel Coca. everyone. Welcome back to Real Wealth, Real Health. Today, we are speaking with Reed Goosens. Reed is a young entrepreneurial real estate investor originally from Australia, who's had his fair share of ups and downs in diving headlong into real estate investing. Reed began his career with small single family assets, and now he manages over $100 million of multifamily assets in his portfolio. 
We talked to Reed about his decision-making and thought process as he forayed into real estate entrepreneurship and what has led to his great success in a relatively short amount of time. His perspective as an immigrant to America has given him invaluable experience in understanding the why of why the USA is the best place to earn returns as a real estate investor. We did record this interview with Reed prior to the worldwide COVID-19 shutdowns. But in any case, this episode highlights just how much the economic environment has changed and still signals that savvy investors have been preparing for quite a while for an eventual downturn. As Reed's insights have been key to his own success, we dive into evaluating market trends and how to shift investor expectations for impending economic contractions. Hi, Reed. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Adapia, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it was it was really fun when we were getting started with the podcast. And I thought, who are people from uh, my network, especially this network that I've built up over the past few years in the real estate space that I wanted to reach out to? And as I was going through my list, uh, your email came through my inbox about this book that you were launching. And I thought, gosh, I haven't talked to Reed in years. So here we are. And I'm so excited to talk to you about this journey because we met back in like, I want to say 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot has changed in the past four years for all of us in this space. And I'm really excited to hear all about what you've been up to and share your knowledge and your wisdom with our listeners. Well, thank you very much and very flattering introduction. <laughs> I've got lots of love to you, right? <laughs> oh, no, you'll, you'll be fine. So what I would love to start with is like, I know you, but let's hear from you a little bit about who you are, your experience, and you know what our listeners can, can look forward to and uh, hearing from you. Wow. Yeah. Big one. Who am I? I think that's the, the question we always ask uh, ourselves each and every day. I guess I'm a self, self-loving, down-to-earth guy who loves surfing and investing in real estate and, and finding financial freedom. And, and really, I think the crux of who I am as a person is someone who likes uncertainty, but also yeah, fears regret. You know, and and you know, my story is that I moved to the United States back in 2012. I quit my job in Australia, and we can get into that in a little bit. But I've always been, I've always thought to myself, if I don't give this a crack or don't give something a go, I'm going to wake up when I'm 70 years of age and regret it. And I'm in my early 30s now, and I've looked back in the last 10 years, and I've been really proud of what I've achieved to date. And and that means the next 10 years, I don't have to stress as much because I know my to my if left to my own devices. Clearly, I know what I, I'll figure it out somehow, and that's really who I am as a person is just understanding that don't put as much stress on what's going to happen in the next 10 years, but, but just look at the doors that are in front of you right now, open them, see what, walk through those doors and, and let the, the future figure the, itself out uh, along the way. So, so does that answer the question of who, who I am? Yeah, I think, I, you know, it's such a hard question to, you know, to, to answer because we're so nuanced and there's so much to, to talk about. One of the reasons why I really wanted you on the show was because you have this deep financial uh, or rather real estate experience. I mean, it's both financial and real estate. As an entrepreneur, you were doing a nine to five life. You read a book, it you and you took the action to change your life. It's not like oh, this book changed my life, but you right. read it and you did something about it. And 
like you said, you're opening doors, going through them, probably closing other doors. And so what is that, what has that looked like for you as an entrepreneur getting into real estate? And obviously everyone can hear your accent. You're not from America. So you've also done this as an expat. So let's, I'd love to just talk a little bit about the professional side mm-hmm. um, to, to start with, especially as it relates to the real estate. Yeah, so the professional side, the bug was planted. You you alluded to the the rich dad poor dad, and that really came after a couple of years of traveling uh, abroad. So if I rewind the clock even further, uh, I graduated in 2007 from University of Queensland in Australia as a structural engineer. Uh, 2008 went abroad to London to work on the 2012 Olympic Games, but in 2008 on infrastructure development. 2009 was in the south of France, uh, talking about super yachts uh, in, the, in the green room before we press record here. Uh, and then 2009 is where I met my, my then girlfriend, now wife, Erica, who's American. Uh, at the end of 2009, I moved back to Australia and that's when I really realized about, I, wanna, I want someone to pay me to live my life, right? I, wanna, I, I just enjoyed this incredible two years being abroad, all these advan- adventures. I tr- you know, crossed the Atlantic Ocean on a super yacht, you know, had these incredible eye-opening experiences, but I was still working. I ended up being back in a cubicle and I was like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want out of life. And I really felt like that star athlete sitting on the bench and just watching my life go by. And it, I was in mid, mid to mid-20s, to mid late 20s, and I really, I didn't know what the word entrepreneurship meant. And when I picked up that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it sort of ignited the, the spark within me to say, okay, there's more here to life, i.e. financial freedom, um, than what I was told, right? What I was told as a growing up, you got to go to school, you got to get a job, you got to be in this cubicle, you got to you know, punch the clock. And then at 65 years of age, somehow then you, or you get this golden ticket to living now the rest of your life. And, and I didn't really subscribe to that. So the whole idea around the book was just Rich Dad Poor Dad. It, it planted a seed and that seed was enough for me to challenge the status quo, which I had been brought up to believe. Uh, and so then the next, since 2009, over a decade later, it's been that quest towards financial freedom, towards figuring it out, towards opening doors and, and, and the rest of it. So, so yeah. That I didn't realize it was 2009. That's actually when I also started my own entrepreneurial journey. I was at a hedge fund in Switzerland, actually, because wow. uh, I was living in Europe at the time, and uh, we're coming off the tail end of the, you know, the, almost the near destruction of the fund with with everything that started happening in September of 2008. And for various personal reasons, I, I left I left the fund and I started entrepreneur like I, that really started my entrepreneurial path back in in 2009 as well. So uh, I didn't realize that that was that for you. What what made you choose real estate? Was it specifically what was said in the book or were you already kind of familiar with it? Yeah, my uh, I was f- from being familiar enough that the fact that I was a structural engineer working on infrastructure projects on some developments uh, in my early career as an engineer, but also my dad had you know he was a high school teacher. Nothing came from very humble upbringings, nothing fancy, but he had created a little nest egg for himself through investing in real estate. And, and really, Australians have been taught over the years, you buy something and, and hopefully if you double your money or double the value of an asset in ten years, you're doing pretty well. Right, so that's that's the mindset I've come from of slow and steady wins the race. Um, and, and you know, he had created not not necessarily financial freedom, but some 
a comfortable living where now he's at 65 years of age and he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have any loans on his on his houses and he owns them debt free uh, which is pretty incredible for a, a person who had uh, you know a sort of say measly but a, a not a great income as as a high school teacher growing up so being really smart with with money uh, and then investing in in assets was sort of I could have chosen the stocks and bonds route but I chose the, the tangible physical assets because of my ability to build stuff and that that sort of engineer in me but also the fact that I had an upbringing where uh, you know my dad had invested in a little bit of real estate along the way so so yeah right and what was the first project you invested in and was that in the US yeah so the first project um, so you sort of summarizing the 2009 to, to, to moving to the United States was 2009 got home had the epiphany of like I need to do more with my life Richard Portad started then educating myself about the benefits of real estate attending local real estate investment clubs in Australia Erica moves out to Australia for her master's degree in 2011 she does that for 12 months and at the end of that 2011 was like all right we've come to a fork in the road do I want to go and live uh, abroad again uh, being an expat and and that was a real desire within me or do I want to stay in Australia and do do something in Aussie and just you know play play it safe and the uncertainty in me wanted to go and you know throw throw caution to the wind and let's give it a crack so quit the job at the end of 2011 uh, Erica we, Eric and I moved to New York City and I had a tourist visa and I had to get a job pretty quickly and I had to get a visa pretty quickly because I only had three months to be in the country. Uh, Erica, on the other hand, is an American citizen, so it's a completely different uh, kettle of fish. And yeah, I think within two weeks of being fresh off the boat, I was at my at the, at the real estate uh, REARS, uh, Real Estate Investment Associations in New York City. And I thought Australia had some pretty awesome networking events. This was, you know, it's, it's the big apple. It's, it's, it's networking on steroids and it's the fast paced, fast talking Americans, you know, coming at me with all this lingo that I wasn't maybe necessarily, we didn't use the same lingo because of the different investment climate and market in Australia. So really I spent the first six months readjusting or recalibrating my mind on, on how to invest in real estate in the United States, but also realized that the barriers to entry here are so much lower than they are in Australia. And, you know, per what Rich Dad Poor Dad said, I found these markets within a four-hour drive of New York City, i.e. Syracuse and upstate New York, where you can buy $50,000 properties. And that just wouldn't exist in Australia. So I had saved a little bit of money. And my first deal was a $38,000 triplex in Syracuse, New York. It was because I could get on the Greyhound bus and travel to and from a market that I could afford. Uh, and when I moved here, no one wanted to lend to me anyway, even that I did have a job was to the fact that, that I just didn't have any credit. I didn't know what a credit score was uh, when I first moved here. So that was my first deal was just within six months of moving here was, was about getting the cash flow or cash flow, perceived cash flow, but had a very quick lesson in Section 8 housing and uh, investing in, in the slums. So, uh, you know, had, had, had a drive-by shooting at one of my properties. So, but, but the, 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 you know, you shake your head, it's, I wouldn't have got to where I am today without doing that first deal. And that first deal meant it was my own cash. It was my risk. It was my money. I was willing to put it on the line just because I was sick of having my nose in a book on the subway learning about something, right? It was more getting out and taking action and the only way I was going to learn. And at that point, Adapaya, uh, is that I've been learning for since 2009. So it was sort of like over two years, two and a half years of Australian learning and then coming to the United States. I was like, I just needed to get something done. So that was more... 
uh, the reason. Um, but 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 I got the first deal done, and that rolled into the second little deal, and then um, all like multifamily, little multifamily deals, and then looked to do some. I, I did a flip in Philadelphia, um, which didn't go great, but it still got it going. And then really got to the end of 2013, and uh, a friend of mine came down from Canada who I actually studied with at U- the University of Queensland. And I was telling him about my little portfolio of probably less than $200,000 worth of property, uh, but I still wasn't financially free. And, and you know, I was boasting to him about what I'm doing and he sort of slaps him on the back and, you know, well done, good on you. Um, he tells me he just closes on a 70-unit deal. And I said, you know, I said, seven zero. He's like, yeah, seven zero. I said, how the hell did you do that? And he talked to me about getting a mentor, about, you know, raising other people's money and seller carryback finance and all that sort of stuff. And that was the impetus to get me thinking about, okay, I need to scale this. And, and at that sort of, that was the second epiphany in my life, which was the first one was Rich Dad Porter. This was the second conversation over a couple of years. And I kind of had the sense that I was getting to the end of my tether already um, with three little deals or four little deals under my belt. I got the banks weren't really lending to me that much because I wasn't credit worthy. My income wasn't going up enough to get more loans. So I really needed to change my, my thought process and I knew I was getting to the ceiling of my own abilities and I needed someone else on my team to take me to that next level. So the mentor and the coach, like that's where I went out to, to, to try and I, I did that and, and got a coach, someone who I could you know, surround myself with and be able to ride on their coattails of credibility. Um, at the same time, I started my own podcast called Investing in the US and that was back in early 2014 and really... Um, you know, tracking the history of what what I was doing because a lot of international investors were looking at the United States as a favorable place to invest. But, you know, when I looked on iTunes and podcasting, there was no educational platforms talking specifically to the international investor, yet I was doing it, you know, figuring out how to close my first little triplex. I, you know, didn't even know what credit score was. I, you know, trying to make relationships with local banks, LLC startups, EINs, all that sort of stuff. Um, foreign foreign exchange, you know, getting money out of Australia and into the United States, all that sort of stuff, like loans. How do you get a loan from a quote unquote foreigner? So that's when I started the podcast, Investing in the US, and and that really sort of helped snowball the effect of attracting capital to then invest and co-invest in my mentors' deals. And then over a period of three or four years, I was able to break out and do my own deals. Um, and, and in that same period of time, I was able to transition from structural engineering into being a, an owner's rep for a, a reputable developer in Long, uh, Long Beach um, and building uh, 500 high-end luxury um, multifamily apartments. And so knowing that I had to, you know, I didn't have the, v, I didn't have the green card yet, I could quit, you know, and, and I could go financially free. So I spent many years, four or five years, spinning the plates of trying to get my side hustle going, trying to get the podcast going, trying to keep food on the table and uh, a roof over my head uh, with a day job. But but I but I made the conscious decision that if I had to have a day job, I would transition into a job where I could continue to learn as a real estate in the real estate business. So so yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that's awesome. You know, I'm I'm actually really curious about your perspective of, of investing into the United States before you arrived here, and then you know what things turned out to be true. What are some of the realities like for those folks who you know are not US based like what should what should they expect investing in the United States well so the expectation i had no expectation i i thought i was moving here and just going to be an expat for 2 years and move back to australia you know after getting a job it was there was no expectation to invest it was just the fact that i saw the barriers to entry were so much lower so if you look at the international world globe western worlds 
America is very, very unique in terms of it has the, uh, uh, a really nice balance between appreciating markets, but also cash flowing markets. And the reason is, and I always equate it back to Australia because that's where I'm from, but you can equate it very similar to England or Europe, Canada, where we in Australia have the same landmass as the United States, exclude, you know, mainland America sort of excluding Alaska, but give or take, but we only have 25 million people. Uh, we can only inhabit, you know, 20% of our land. In America, you guys have 350 million people, I think. You also can ha- inhabit north to south, east to west. And you can have these pockets of, um, of high appreciation markets, but you can also have through the population growth and just population density, these secondary and tertiary markets where it's a lower barrier to entry, um, you can, it's a, the cost of living is a little more affordable and, and that's more where more cash flow exists. So you have this really weird balance of cash flow and appreciation depending on what, you know, it's like a buffet. It's like, what do you want? Do you want the meat and potatoes or do you want the, the salmon and the salad? Like you, you have a bit of everything. But it wasn't until I moved here and I really started researching that that I fully understood the benefits of investing here. Coupled with that also compared to my home country, particularly on the commercial real estate side, the access to financing, you know, was just, you guys have thousands of different arms of financing structures in Australia. We have four big banks and they control everything. And so having Fannie and Freddie, you know, government backed agency bond debt uh, at, at 30 years amortized with, you know, 10 years interest only uh, fixed rate, like you would not find that in, in Australia. And, and I'd be hard pressed to think you'd find it in other Western countries. So this whole mix of capitalism slash population slash, you know, perfect boiling pot. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question, but there's, it's, it, it does make the United States a very unique place to invest, uh, particularly when you're chasing yield, but you also can get the appreciation from forced appreciation, particularly if you're investing in commercial real estate. So I hope that answers your question in terms of the, the perspective. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting, you know, from my perspective as someone who was born here, thinking about investing in real estate, particularly being an active investor in real estate, you know, and the hurdles that, you know, I may think exist, but then hearing your perspective about coming to America and how these hurdles seem so much lower than they did uh, in Australia. Just an, an interesting thought. And don't get me wrong. You, I, I try to, I try to, I try to tell people, think of Australian commercial real estate and really real estate markets like LA, San Francisco, New York was just had a baby. That's, you know, the, the, that's the type of market you are. High barriers to entry, you know, um, negatively geared, uh, you know, you, you're sort of, you're supporting the mortgage to keep it going, but also having commercial assets where they're in the two and 3% cap rates have been historically two or 3% cap rates because the demand to live there is so much higher than the supply. Uh, and also I forgot to even mention that multi, particularly on the multifamily side, Multifamily does not exist in Australia because of, again, the, uh, the abilities of financing and the way in which the financing structures in Australia, they don't view, it's very much a condominium market. So the local governments get their tax breaks through strata title. So when you go and, you know, a developer goes and wants to build a block of apartments, they're saying, well, okay, you've got to pre-sell 30% or 40% of the deals off the plan before we'll bring you the construction loan. And so when you've already broken up the pie, you can't really put it back together again. Uh, nor would there be a financing vehicle to say, come along and say, well, there's a 200 unit you know, apartment building. We're going to value it on this future NOI once you've built it. Uh, again, lack of the, I wouldn't say sophistication, just the lack of the different revenue uh, uh, resource streams for commercial financing in Australia versus um, versus here in America. So, yeah. 
I'm really curious for you as you made all of these transitions geographically, like in your life and in your lifestyle, what would you say drives you? Like what was driving you like that deep, deep place beyond, you know, you've talked about some of the things, but do you, do you know, like really inside of you, what, what drives you towards where you've arrived at even today? I think, you know, a little bit back to the uncertainty, uh, a little bit back to the not throwing caution to the wind. Australians in our DNA are, are conquerors. We, we, we live by ourselves all the way down under and we all sound the same, look the same and talk the same. So getting out and exploring the world was probably the, the first and foremost thing when I, when I first came to the United States, just a challenge to live here and make it happen. But back to you know the other question of like the perspective, I had no idea that I'd start to invest in, in commercial multifamily when I first moved here. It was again, putting one foot in front of the other and not having the shackles of expecting to be somewhere in 10 years time or expecting to have a family and kids and you know house and picket fence and all that sort of stuff but not that that's bad just that it doesn't drive me as much as what where it was I'm about living my life now or want you know want to live my life now and the challenges of moving halfway across the world excited me that's that's really it and then from there it was like okay well let's it's just okay. Well, this 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 opportunity popped up. Well, let's let's go have a look at that opportunity, and then seeing how it has evolved over time. So, um, didn't really answer the question, but sort of <laughs> around the point of how I perceive it, because I still, even as at thirty three, thirty four years of age today, my north star for the last ten years has been financial freedom. The next ten years, my north star is going to be something different, and that's what I'm still struggling to figure out right now. Today is when you build companies, when you build entrepreneurships, when you build businesses. What does the north star change as you progress along that? You know, evolve along that 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 life um, of of entrepreneurship. So, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. You talking about this change in your north star right now. Would you say that you've achieved this level of financial? freedom or stability or this like financial foundation that we talk about right now? And how is that affecting the way that maybe your North Star will change? Yeah, like I just, you know, the, the whole social media thing, 10 year challenge, if I look back and yeah, it was 10 years ago, I picked up Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm 10 years later, I would have no idea that I'd be sitting here talking to you about the fact that, you know, we have, se- I have 1700 units in my portfolio and I manage $175 million of multifamily real estate, not to, not to boast, excuse my language, shit, you know, like that's, that's nuts. Like, right. Like I, I, those numbers, they're so big, you don't even fathom them. And I now look at my portfolio and think, you know, when you spend, uh, you know, we, we spend bought a $46 million deal. It's like, I did what? Like when you got to stop and really think about it, because sometimes when you're so fast paced in, in your growth uh, or just, you know, head down blinkers on, let's go to get this deal done. You sort of got to stop and realize, wow, this is, pretty cool. Enjoy the view for a little bit. So back to the North Star. Yes, my financial goals have been a, a well in exceeded of, of what I wanted to do now. But now I have different challenges, right? I have investors to answer to. I have portfolios to manage and making sure that those portfolios are successful because that is now what I put my brand behind my, my, my name on. So, you know, people's livelihoods uh, and future retirements are, are reliant upon me. So, yeah, my, my new North Star is probably looking something like we want to have successful portfolios that we are proud of and our investors are proud of and uh, a sustainable long-term uh, investment thesis that people want to continue to come back in, you know, year, year after year or deal after deal. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's It's really... 
it's really telling, you know, when you get to that point of like all this success, you didn't do that. I mean, a lot of it was you, you know, like the by yourself thing, like the lone wolf theory that, that, that people love so much, but in your life, you said that that jump that you made was thanks to a mentor and a coach, like who else in the past 10 years has been, you know, a a really important influence for you in terms of like partners and mentors, coaches, and how do you think about partnership in business and life in general? Yeah, I think, look, the first mentors I spoke about is like my dad, he was, you know, not necessarily a mentor, but an inspiration in terms of having an upbringing where, you back in, in you know a curiosity uh, i think i'm a very curious person by nature so backing your intuition and and knowing that you know i did, i came from a household full of like yeah you want to go give that a go go we've we got you 100% so allowing that freedom to wander to, to be curious to to explore helped me evolve into the person i am today uh, more on the professional side yeah the, the first mentor that i got i don't know if it allowed, he pushed me in the, what I wanted to be pushed into because I helped him as much as he helped me. But it allowed me to part way with money to take this seriously and give me uh, the approval that I can go off and achieve what I, you know, whatever I wanted to achieve. So, you know, the, the whole theory of like the world is your oyster. Uh, sorry about that. The world is your oyster. You know, a lot of people say that but don't actually do anything about it. I, I think the, the taking action part is really what has helped me be that successful even if it was meant at the, at the cost of other things or, or, or the potential of failure in the future a lot of people would stop at that and go well that potential of failure is too great I'm not going to take any action um, for my personal self it's like well I've weighed up the the downfalls I'm okay with those risks and I'm going to then thus move forward and and so so yes there was there's been some very influential people along my along the way don't get me wrong there's been also people that I've that that, that have I've had bad partnerships. I've had bad, you know, my first flip deal went terribly. I had a drive-by shooting at my first uh, triplex. Now, now that didn't, that just was, was, was coincidence, but you know, that, that would scare people. And they were the first two deals that would scare people to not do it again. Right. Not, not even get back out of bed and look at real estate. But I knew that you've got to break it down into what's the big picture here. I was like, okay, well, a tenant's son had a, was the issue with the drive-by shooting. Um, the, the flip deal, we just didn't have the ARV on the back end and we had a bad GC who stole a bunch of you know, stuff from us. We did everything right up until that point. Some things just go bad and you have to, you know, um, you have to succumb to that and, and, and understand that it's, you can't beat yourself over the head about it and never not take a next step forward. Yeah, you're going to, get, you're going to be bucked off a few times. You've got to dust your knees off and get back on. So, and I expect there's going to be more failures in the future. It's just how you navigate those failures and the thought of like, we're never going to fail is, you know, pretty, pretty ludicrous if you ask me. So, yeah. It, it, it sounds like you started out as a trial by fire type of guy. I think we'd love to hear, you know, what are the lessons? I'm sure you've learned a ton of lessons, but what are some of the top lessons, you know, you've learned uh, that maybe we can share with the audience, help them sure. avoid some. Sure. Things? Yeah. Look, well, and it's not necessarily trial by fire. It was, I'm a very calculated person, but also a risk taker. So for that example of the, the drive-by shooting, uh, for example, I, you know, better screening of my tenants. I had a, a third-party property manager. I realized that, okay, if I'm going to be successful in this space, do you think my third-party property manager who, um, who I had one property with, you know, they're collecting 7% on $1,000 a month is really going to care a lot about the tenant I put into that, port, into that house? Probably not. I mean, if you're going to be successful in that that space, in that sort of lower socioeconomic space, Section Eight housing, 
I would encourage you to go and buy 10 houses at once. So you have those bad eggs every now and then, you get them out, you, 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 you're sort of more portfolio-based. Um, the general contracting thing is just, you know, at the end of the day, probably maybe not enough ARV on the back end to know that we had the, the meat um, to, to, to carry the deal when we had to go and fire the general contractor and it took longer than expected to get the, uh, to get the deal to market. Um, and so that, that, that ARV after repair value, um, it just, you know, it, the longer we held it for that more it ate into our profits. And I took a bit of a hit of about, you know, 20% on my money, but my, my investors who actually happened to be my dad and my, my uncle, I made sure that they were pay, paid whole and they got their, their interest that I told them that they're going to get there. So I learned that when things go bad, they, they can go bad. You can do everything in your power to make sure that they don't. But when they do, you've got to be big enough and ugly enough to reach into your own pocket to, to pay your investors what you said you were going to pay them. Um, so there, there are a couple of just the, the very basic level um, lessons that have been learned in, in the early quote-unquote failures or stumbling blocks you know, in the beginning of the, of the career. What have you understood now you're like at this point, like now you're, you're managing large buildings. Tell us about this Austin building that, that you close in, I want to say late 2019. Yep. Yep. Yeah, September, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, what, what specifically do you want to know about it? <laughs> um, well, just tell us, I mean, we go from, you know, drive by shooting and a triplex, uh, to, um, you know, it looked like a really beautiful property in, in Austin. Just tell us a little bit about that experience and, you know, what you learned there and uh, like, who are your partners there? You raised capital yourself for this specific deal, right? I uh, no, I'm I'm the leading GP, so it's okay. my deal. It's my baby, and and and, and don't this this deal about this is deal seven eight of syndication under Reed Goosens and my business partner Andrew Campbell. So mm-hmm. there was three or four deals prior to that back in 2013, 14, 15 that was under co-GP status the, the the last three or three years have been all under under myself so that but but it's a good it's a good deal to bring up in terms of how we've reacted to the market in terms of offering a structure to our investors that is different to what we historically the, the previous seven deals that we've taken out um, so previously we've been to, we've been doing like a 70 30 split and a seven or eight percent pref um, in ter- secondary markets and I will say secondary market like San Antonio right Slow and steady wins the race. Um, nothing, nothing crazy in terms of um, economic forecasts. In terms of it's going to go up, you know, like like a like a hockey stick. Uh, we figured out that as deals got harder and thinner to to to, to buy, that upfront seven percent pref, uh, particularly also the type of investors we go after, the retail investors are sophisticated and, and are accredited, but some of them might not understand that if you don't get your pref payment out of the first, you know, the first 12 months, they think that the deal's going bad. So, you know, we had to change, if we wanted to ch- chase better deals, high, high quality deals in markets, which are transitioning like Austin, Texas into really like a coastal city where the barriers to entry for new product are a lot higher. Dirt is trading for just downtown dirt in, in Austin, Texas is trading for just nearly as much as downtown Los Angeles, you know, three, 200, $300 a square foot. Um, it takes two years to get planning approvals. So similar type of process here in Los Angeles. Um, and when you buy existing assets, yeah, you're going to pay a bit of a premium for them. And thus, you're going to have to, um, your, your, your upfront cash flow is going to be less. So we transition to what's a very similar structure to a, um, a ground up construction deal where you have the debt. Uh, and then we have two types of equity. We'll have a class A type and a class B type. 
and class A gets a 10% pref, but they're only limited to 25% of the equity uh, and they get none of the back end where class B has an accruing 7% pref, uh, but gets 70% of the upside uh, on the back end. And the reason we transition to that means that you can take 25% of the equity out of the, the proceeds on the back end. It juices the IRR to the class B, um, but also allowing our investors to sit in a more preferred position if they want that safer position in the capital stack. Um, so it's a bit of both. It's the best of both worlds in terms of we can make deals pencil a little better uh, in terms of the IRR to the to class B investors, um, but also offers a little bit of cash flow. Um, and it also means that we can cash flow 2.5% out of the gate and you can pay that 10% on 25% of the equity. You just do the math, it, it works out. So that is a to- total different shift to our historically 70, 30, 7% prep, everyone's sitting in the same position. Splitting it up allows us to go chase what I think are nicer assets, which is exactly the one you spoke about before, and also gets to our, us to react to the market of offering us, our investors, two options and really then going, you know, uh, nurturing more, a better relationship with our class B investors because they're the type of investors who will understand long-term growth and, and going from a big picture point of view, the last 10 years of what we had here in the United States, have we've seen these great, beautiful returns, but the next 10 years are going to be completely different. And, and I think people think we're you know, when you tell, oh, I'm going to double your money in, in seven years or eight years, they think, oh, well, I was doubling my money in five years, you know, only two or three years ago. I was like, well, we're not in that market anymore. Um, we're, we're sort of more plateauing out, in my opinion. Again, going back to my where I come from in Australia, where if you double your money in 10 years, you're doing really, really well, where some investors now think today they've just got so used to the last 10 years since 2009 that they got spoiled. And now they're not willing to adjust to where the market returns are you know, being risk-adjusted market returns, i.e. like investing in a better town like Austin, Texas compared to San Antonio, Texas, um, and thus the returns reduce and, and thus the risk reduces. So having those conversations with those types of investors and pivoting to a different return structure has definitely helped us stay present and stay able to, to close on some deals in 2019 and hopefully in, in 2020. So, so, yeah. Well, what I thought was interesting was really this the part of the conversation about benchmarks, right? And investor perspectives. And I think one of the things, you know, one of the challenges that that we have and that we've taken on as an opportunity is trying to just educate investors about where we are in the market cycle, how to look at deals on a risk adjusted basis. And, you know, you you read, you're out there kind of on the front lines with your podcast. There are a lot of people that are listening to kind of what you say every day. You know, how do you get that message across to folks who you know are either new to real estate or, or even those who have been in it for a while and just the environment today is is different than it was five years ago? Well, it comes down back down to ex- investor expectations and what I you know briefly touched on before the the historical retail investor has experienced in multifamily or commercial real estate an X percent return over the last five to six years. That is now changing, and you can mobile home parks, you know, self storage, any commercial asset is changing to being thinner. But what does that mean? Uh, you have to understand the meaning behind why is it is it more thin compared to what it was? Is it? It's obviously you know there's a lot more competition in the market. Um, prices are going up, so how do you protect your downside? Um, what is your investment thesis and long term horizon? Uh, again, a lot of people are trying to get into this mindset of 
three to five year holds. Well, we're now trying to shift that mindset into more six to 10 year holds. And, and that, you know, you can ride out recessions at that point, making sure you have, you know, low interest fixed rate debt on your, on your product, low leverage. Um, if you have to have CapEx in, in dollars on hand, maybe you're raising that from equity. So you're in control of it rather than being over leveraged and being uh, at, you know, the whim of the bank and being underwater very quickly if, if you know, occupancy uh, increases. So there's a lot of different conversations we talk about. We also look at the overall mar- uh, market metrics on the different markets we're investing in. Where is the, what, you know, we, we've got a, a new gentleman who's just joined our team he has worked on the Austin Economic Advisory Board and has been on that board since early 2001 where they made a conscious decision in Austin to invest something like you know a couple of trillion dollars over the next 40 years in Austin's growth. And where are we in that cycle and, and how much more tailwind does that have got, has got to go for that local market of Austin? Um, knowing that type of information is really important when you're trying to sell an investor on someone like, hey, yeah, this is not a 17 or 18% IRR return. This is only a 12 or 13% IRR, but it's a lower risk because of X, Y, Z, because people, because the, the, the city is investing into the community. We've got all these jobs coming into the community and there's, the demand is not keeping up. So very much looking at it with a different lens. And investors, when you sit down and explain that to them, they get it, right? They get the overall thing, the, the overall picture. The other thing I also talk to investors about is like your this preferred return is just really your your where you sit in the capital stack. If you invest a hundred thousand dollars with me, does me paying you seven percent a year, seven grand, is that changing your lifestyle drastically? Or is the fact that you invest a hundred thousand dollars today in six years' time I give you two hundred thousand dollars back or two point two hundred and fifty thousand dollars back? That is a better conversation to have rather than the here and the now from the cash flow, which so many of my investors have been so focused on because the last 10 years has been so cash flow driven and this whole thing of cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, you don't have it, it's crap deal. And if you don't, <laughs> so changing that narrative a little bit has really helped changing the investment structure and really focusing on people who understand the long-term growth and don't maybe necessarily need that cash flow today to live off, they, they can wait two or three years and then the deal gets going um, and, and appreciation happens at the same time. So, does, so does it- on those, sorry, in those types of deals, you know, the, the ground up deals, the ones that take two to three years to kind of take shape, how do you talk about just these uncertain times we live in right now, this 2020 election, which will inevitably be very polarizing? Like, how does that impact the way you look at these deals, do you perceive it as a risk? How do you offset it, mitigate it, that sort of thing? And, and just so I'm clear, I'm not investing in ground up construction. It's just more to do with still value add multifamily. It's just a little bit thinner on the front end because the cash flow isn't there. So, but but to your bigger, larger points, yes, those things all. You know, I remember we closed on a deal at the end of 2017, and the treasury went nuts when when Trump got elected because so the market was so worried about what was going to happen and we ended up acting to overraise uh to to adjust for the 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 shift in the 10-year note um so yeah it's it's real you know investor confidence and sentiment is real and it really affects how we go get financing it really affects how the market is perceived um trying to mitigate that risk is really important leading up into the to the election i think there will be some not necessarily volatility but there'll be some unsta- you know some instability people are not maybe bringing deals to market or holding off until seeing what happens uh you know with, in terms of results uh, whether you're on the left or the right i think there is going to i i don't have a crystal ball and if i did uh, you know we've been in the wrong business but 
in hindsight, you've got to keep doing what you, you know is right for the deal. Um, and and the, the, the short-term volatility, you've got to also look at the long-term growth of where this deal is going. And that's what I think changing the perspective of what investors are seeing right now today, what's going to happen in the next 12 months, what's going to happen to the deal over the next 10 years. And let's talk about that. And then we can you know, ride out sort of a market in, you know, uh, influxes or defluxes depending on where we end up going. And, and, and undoubtedly, we're long on the tooth, right? So everyone's well, just around the corner. It's just around the corner. So understanding where you're investing and doubling down, and, and my thesis is, is doubling down when there's high barriers to entry into markets, but has a really good long-term tailwind in terms of the economic growth and development investment into a particular market in order to keep that momentum of job growth, of attracting businesses and thus attracting increasing rents uh, over a, a seven to 10-year hold. So, yeah. yeah, it's funny you say it's around the corner. I feel like, you know, we've been saying that for the past three years. When's it coming? It's around the corner. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. And at the same time, so are deals still happening and opportunities. Right. And like you said, it's, it's more widespread. There's so many other opportunities within different markets that just weren't possible before. So I think it's a really healthy outlook and approach because we can't always be sitting in fear, sitting on the sidelines, waiting for either something good or something bad to happen, quote unquote, because who's to say, it's just a matter of really understanding like who you are, what your values are, you know, how you vet anything and, you know, your ability to be resilient. And you're certainly like really, really resilient. So and I'll add one other thing is that, you know, the, the, the United States is 400 MSAs, metropolitan statistical areas within that MSA, there's a North, South, East, West, and within that certain, you know, there's so much variability and there's always going to be deals getting done. It's just about how, when a market correction occurs or a slowdown occurs, how do you change as an operator to make sure you are weeding out or shaking the tree, the lemon tree, as I like to say, are we going to shake the tree and make lemonade or are we making lemon juice? And those making sure you're seeing those opportunities come your way uh, and you're hanging around the hoop long enough to make sure you're getting those opportunities in order to pounce because there will be deals that need to get done. Uh, financing may be tighter in a recession. So do you have other ways of getting deals done and across the line? Is it through your investor network? Is it through raising out international funds because of the, the, the fact that the, the United States is a bit, feeling a bit of a pinch or a lull? That is all possible and it's just having you know the abilities to go off and execute that in those pinch times and, and knowing that a, deals can get done a million ways till Sunday and being creative as much as best as you can, but also seeing the right deals for, the, for that given time in the market cycle. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, let's talk about, um, let's talk about lemonade. Let's talk about something. Um, <laughs> let's talk about like the fruits of your labor and something that like we're really passionate about, which is this idea of living your life today, living a full life today, still planning for the future, you know, how that ties into your personal values. Like, where are you at today? Like, what do you love the most about your life today that you've been able to really structure and design this life? You know, tell us a little bit about that, about yourself. I think the the big thing for me and particularly my business partner is like we are a life by design company. We are a, you know, we always joke that if we get, if we need HR, we're done growing, <laughs> you know, with employees. Like it's, it's, we, I don't want 20,000 units. I, I think a, a healthy a one deal a quarter, you know, you, you know, you get to a point where you're buying four deals a year, you're selling four deals a year. And that might change in terms of asset class, you know, over time. Um, but really understanding what that growth looks like, not being too far out over your skis, 
um, having a, a sustainable business that 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 can sustain you know three or four employees and and so you know having five to six thousand units with five employees I think is pretty sustainable which still leads me to you know that's that's where we're trajecting towards still leads me to have the life that I go back to Australia two or three times a year because I want to hang out with my family back there. Making sure that I, I, when I open my laptop, I can work. As long as I've got internet, I can work. Having the systems in place in order to, for things to, you know, keep going and keep chugging forward without me being there. Uh, understanding where I am as a solo entrepreneur slash, you know, entrepreneur where I'm the bottleneck in the business and relieving that bottleneck with, with a different system is really where I'm shifting to right now uh, in order to have a sustainable business uh, for the long term, in terms of the overall perspective of, of of what I do on a daily basis in my life, you know, in the last last twelve months, I, I went to the Philippines. I finally got on my honeymoon. I went to Japan for the Rugby World Cup. I, I went over to London for for a couple of weeks, uh, and I was back. I went back to Australia three times. So you know, like I, it can happen, and and I love travel. And so it just, it's a matter of just making it happen. You can be anywhere in the world in 24 hours and living life now, not waiting to, um, you know, the, the whole rugby world cup, I've always wanted to go. It was in Japan. Uh, and I was like, screw it. I'm going, you know, like, I'm just going to make it happen. It's just, it's, you know, people, Andrew, my business partner, he'll figure it out. The property manager, I'm sure they've got it for, 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 for a week and a half that I'm gone. So it's, it's about being intentional with, with what, what I do and how I go and get fulfillment out of life. And, and right now it's travel. I'm sure it's going to shift in the next couple of years to family. <laughs> uh, so we just bought a house actually the other day. So we're, you know, it, it's things are starting to change. And I, I know that when I do probably have children, it's my, my mind shift might change a little bit, but for right now, really enjoying it. Very grateful to live the life I do and, and get to, to fly around the country, you know, doing deals, talking to you types of folks and, and just really living it, living it to the fullest. So, so yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That is a lot of uh, long distance travel. I hope you're using your points for your, <laughs> for your upgrades on those international flights. Uh, I know I went to Australia years and years and years ago. It was like 24 hours um, to, to get there. <laughs> That's why I live in LA. It's one shot. It's one direct flight and you're That's done. True. You know, so, That's yeah. true. Yeah. And congratulations on um, buying a house. I'm Thank glad you. you've still found something in this market. So, Well, it's, it's, there's a when primary residence and your wife's involved. It's a little bit different, right? You're trying to take the investor hat off. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <So>. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Reed, it's been so wonderful hearing all about your past 10 years. It sounds like a 30-year career that that you've actually made happen in 10 years and you're you've in that short period of time you've done so much and you're living this life you're doing your travel you're preparing for a family just like a couple of last things like is there any sort of insight or little bits of wisdom that you would have for people specifically around this living for today and how important that is just do you have any kind of insights yeah it's look insights is i've been i've been there where you're grinding so freaking hard you're trying to have a day job you're trying to get a side hustle going you're trying to keep a family or a relationship going you're trying to have time for yourself it's 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 tough right i've been there it's it's not easy um uh but but what you have to understand is is you know, little things like journaling, little things like writing down the victories that you have done in the last 12 months, looking and enjoying the view from where you are right now. And it might not be the mountaintop that you want to scale to, but ultimately, and it, you know, the, the, the end of the journey isn't, isn't 
it's not the peak. It's, it's, it's enjoying it along the way. And I think in taking that time to enjoy the process is, is, is easier said than done. It's a learned skill. A lot of meditation, a lot of, a lot of journaling, a lot of being a little bit more self-aware uh, and then reprioritizing things in life as well, like understanding that this table of what you support your life on, you know, there's different pillars. We spoke a little bit uh, before we press record, you know, there's, there's the business side and how does that fit into your life? And it's probably the main pillar, but there's also your health. There's also your family. And, and, and I've been guilty of reprioritizing those, you know, in different orders over the time, over the last 10 years. And I've had to recome and take stock of that life is short. Life is precious. You know, I, I've had, unfortunately had some loss recently that, that has made me readjust the way I think because, it's not all about sprinting right now. It is a marathon. It will take some time and that's okay. And, and, and that, I guess that is the big piece of advice that you're on your own journey, whoever's listening to this right now, and it will take time. It will take, it, it might take five years, it might take six months, it might take 10 years. That's okay. It's your journey. And, and being okay with that is probably the hardest thing that we all have to come to grasp, grasp with being an entrepreneur on this road to success, whatever that looks like in life. And it's about you know your perspective. So just taking a breath and making sure that you're uh, you don't tr- <laughs> you don't you don't uh, beat yourself to a pulp to try and achieve that success along the way. So so yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. That's such great advice in this world that's so plagued by you know FOMO, fear of missing out, and this like very glamorous idea that real estate or I'm sorry that um, entrepreneurship is a road to riches and really right. it's, it's not necessarily a road to riches, but it's a road you know rich of experience. Hundred so. percent. You know, yes. those are really beautiful insights. So just want to say thank you again so much for spending some time with us today and congratulations on all your successes. And I'm excited to um, see everything that's in store for you in 2020 and beyond. Thank you very much, guys. I'm really honored to come on the show and just share a little bit of an insight and hopefully it's inspired one or two people, but you're doing a great job and I can't wait to see the success you guys are going to have in the next couple of years. So, so yeah. Yeah. Reed, awesome story, man. You know, I was writing down some of the things that you were talking about and as I'm looking back at it now, I'm like, wow, like I cannot believe you did all of that in 10 years. And so it sounds like you've been grinding, man. That's awesome. Like, thank you. And don't, you know, we talk about the, 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 the pretty stuff here and it's what this, these platforms are for. It's been a lot of freaking hard work and, and uh, it's come at sacrifices. Don't get me. We didn't even get into those sacrifices yet. But understand that it is be, be willing to roll up the sleeves and get dirt under your nails, I think, is the, the takeaway. So. Yeah, love it. There's, there's something behind, behind me. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a long story to what it is, but the, the theme of it is stay hungry, stay foolish. I think that's like the, you know, I know a lot of people talk about it because Steve Jobs mentioned it in his uh, commencement speech at Stanford, but like great quote to live by. And sounds like you're, you're doing exactly that. Yep, exactly, mate. Couldn't have said it better myself. I love that quote. <laughs> All right. And before I forget, as we wrap up, Reed, can you tell people about your books and your sites? And I'll put everything in the show notes, of course, for people to find you. But tell us um, the titles of your books and the the website or the social media channels that you most sure. use. Yeah, so just two, there's two books, Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. It's all the best episodes from my podcast in sort of a step-by-step guide. If anyone is is thinking about, you know, getting started in real estate, it's really sort of that introduction to real estate with my story into interwoven. Uh, and the second book is 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. Uh, it's me and seven other Aussies. We started a mastermind group 
about three or four years ago and we, uh, we all had made the, the pilgrimage across the pond and um, we've all created successful real estate businesses here in the United States and each one of us has a chapter. Um, and so that's the second book that's come out. You can all find that on, on my website, which is readgoosens.com. Um, and if anyone is coming through LA and they want to say g'day or meet up for a beer or coffee, you can always hit me up. Just give me a little bit of forewarning at info at readgoosens.com. I always love meeting up with other folks who just want to talk shop. So, so yeah. That's awesome. All right. Thanks again, Reed. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode. And especially, we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alphai.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.